0: No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
2: Initialize sequence now.
0: Coming to you live from Houston, Texas, home to the world's largest medical center. And automatic closer. i
3: copy. Three. This
0: is your health first the most beneficial health program on radio with Dr. Joe Galati. During the next hour, you'll learn about health, wellness, and the prevention of disease. Now, here's your host, Dr. Joe Galati.
3: Well, a good Sunday evening to everybody. I'm Dr. Joe Galati. Thank you so much for tuning in tonight. The name of this program is... Your health first. And as of March of this year, which we are in, we are starting our 18th year on the air, continuous production and airing every Sunday evening at 7 p.m., bringing everybody the best in health and wellness. And we're making you better consumers of healthcare and hoping you're able to stay out of the doctor's office or the ER, or the hospital. But that is our mission, our website, drjogalati.com, drjogalati.com. And when you go there, sign up for our newsletter. There is a subscribe to the newsletter tab at the very top. Go there, click it, share your info with us, and you will uh, get our Friday morning newsletter. So we have a very full program tonight. We'll be getting to our experts on the phone in just a minute, but... What would a radio program be without a birthday shout-out? Listening all the way from Pearl River, New York. Margaret Ward, 89 years old today. Don't tell anybody. That is my mother-in-law. So happy birthday, Mom, 89. You don't look a day over 63. Hope you had a great time with the family. All right, so what we are talking about tonight, quick rundown. Dr. Suda Kadali is going to be coming on in two seconds. We're going to be then connected with Dr. Howard Wong talking about COVID. He has been our COVID man throughout the entire pandemic. He's going to give us an update on what uh, Governor Abbott is uh, going to be rolling out this week. And then Juan Olivero, we're going to be talking about salt, sodium and the effects on your kidneys and a little other um, sort of nutrition things at the end of the program. But without further ado, Dr. Suda Kadali, welcome back, Suda, to uh, Your Health First. Thanks for taking a little time out of your Sunday.
1: Oh, thank you so much for having me today on air, Dr. Galati, and a very good evening to all the listeners tuning in.
3: All right. Well, um, You know, we were talking last week, and we got bumped last week because of the Rockets, but um, cholangiocarcinoma, which is cancer of the bile ducts, last month was cholangiocarcinoma awareness month, and um, you had asked to share some information with that tonight with our listeners. So I would say go at it. Explain to everybody why it is important to know about bile duct cancer.
1: Sure. So we had actually talked about the common form of a primary liver cancer that is hepatocellular carcinoma back in October. Right. But this cancer we're talking about today is cholangiocarcinoma as you said it's a cancer that arises from the bile duct. It's a greater form of liver cancer but very aggressive mm-hmm. and hence it's really important to know about this cancer.
3: Now, you know, we you, you know anywhere you turn in in healthcare it's one disease or another that we want everybody to be aware of. And and as you said, this is a little bit more of a rare cancer, not quite a household name in, in the realm of cancer. But the key thing is, if, as we tell everybody, what are the risk factors for bile duct cancer?
1: Very good question. So patients who have cirrhosis respective of the cause, uh, which means alcohol-related liver disease, fatty liver disease, which we are seeing a lot more now, uh, infections like hepatitis B and C, and other chronic liver issues, which cause cirrhosis, are a risk factor or is a risk factor for cholangiocarcinoma. Uh, in a lot of patients, though, there may not be an identifiable risk factor, but the other rarer conditions include congenital bile duct problems, meaning abnormal bile ducts that a patient may be born with. And not common here in the U.S., but much more common in Southeast Asia, is a parasitic infection of the bile duct. It's called liver fluke, and that is also a risk factor. Now, like smoking and alcohol are risk factors for a lot of other kinds of cancers. They're also risk factors for cholangiocarcinoma.
3: Now, there is an association between individuals that have colitis, ulcerative colitis, and developing a condition called sclerosing cholangitis, then there is a link to cancer as well.
1: Excellent point. So yes, patients who have this immune condition where the bile ducts are affected with scar tissue, we call it fibrosis, which in turn leads to the bile backing up, is is a really important risk factor for cholangiocarcinoma. And as you rightly said, patients who have inflammatory bowel disease, ulcerative colitis, and Crohn's disease are also at risk for cholangiocarcinoma.
3: Now, one one point that you and I have talked about, both on the radio and in the clinic, is symptoms that we need to have all of our patients, everybody listening tonight, in tune with your body, and an ache or a pain or a sensation somewhere should not be ignored. So when it comes to cholangiocarcinoma, many of the symptoms can be very vague and overlooked, and what we do not want is a delayed diagnosis, and that is key. So talk about that.
1: That's exactly true. So the key is early diagnosis. The right. reason early diagnosis is important is the survival rate depend on the stage at which a patient is diagnosed. Mm-hmm. Now you and me in the clinic we screen patients for liver cancer with cirrhosis, so we actually end up diagnosing some patients early on, which is a great thing because the treatment options are multiple if the diagnosis is made early. But patients who may not have risk factors or may not see doctors on a regular basis may not present early, but the symptoms include jaundice, Mm -hmm. itching, abdominal pain, fatigue, feeling tired, and reduced appetite and weight loss. So these are symptoms that can uh, make a patient seek care or come to see their doctor, and these should not be taken lightly, and they should uh, be evaluated promptly.
3: Well, like like you said, a lot of these symptoms, fatigue, so many of our patients are fatigued, and so many, and you know, so we cannot ignore or underplay fatigue. The other thing is, if you or somebody close to you has this unexplained weight loss, that is truly a red flag that they need to get investigated, not only for bile duct cancer, but for a lot of different uh, disorders. So in 30 seconds, and and we could spend an hour talking about this, but in 30 seconds, what would you say is the main take-home message for this rather rare but very important cancer?
1: Sure. I just want the listeners to know that please remember your risk factors, listen to your body, if you have any new symptoms, especially symptoms like jaundice or itching or pain or anything concerning, which does not seem like a usual uh, presenting issue, you should just go to your primary care physician, get evaluated. An early diagnosis is the key as survival depends on the stage of diagnosis, if not promptly treated. This is a very aggressive and fatal cancer, and patients don't survive more than a year or two if they present late uh, during the disease course, so hence it's important All to right. Keep your care. Uh-huh.
3: Perfect. All right, Dr. Kadali. as always, did a great job. Thank you. See you in the morning, and thank you so much for coming on.
1: Yes, thanks for having me. Have a good evening.
3: Absolutely. All right, Dr. Kadali with Houston Methodist Hospital. I'm Dr. Joe Galati. Coming up, Dr. Howard Wong talking about COVID, getting the update. What are we all going to do later this week with the mask? Stay tuned. I'm Dr. Joe Galati. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Every Sunday evening between 7 and 8 p.m., Doing our job to educate the public, keeping you in touch and aware of health and wellness, science, nutrition, and of course, hot topics in the news. Don't forget, go to drjogalati.com. Sign up for our newsletter. Send me a message. Let me know what is on your mind. And so... As I mentioned, Dr. Howard Wong from Houston Methodist Hospital. Dr. Wong heads up the lung transplant program there. He's a pulmonary expert, and Howard has been our main expert for the program since the pandemic started. And in that year, here in Texas, about 2.6 million cases of COVID-19 with about 45,000 Deaths. Now, the numbers are going down, and as everybody knows, Governor Greg Abbott is going to um, do away with the mask requirement, and we're here to see what Dr. Wong has to say. Howard, welcome to the program tonight. Thanks, Jeff. So let's first, before we get into the the, uh, uh, new uh, ruling that Governor Abbott came out with. Looking back over a year, where are we with regard to COVID? What's your expert opinion here?
2: Well, I think we've made some progress in terms of being able to, to manage patients who are hospitalized and to prevent hospitalizations. Mm-hmm. But uh, we're not out of the woods yet. You know, that it seems like every Surge, we have we come down to a plateau that's a little bit higher than the previous surge. Right. So I would like to see a, a plateau, or you know, even just you know, kind of a, a, a decrease to the point that uh, it's no longer detectable in the community. I think that the thing to keep in mind is that we're still logging over a thousand infections in the Houston area a right.
3: day. Right. Now, what what do you make that some of the numbers and and there's multiple sources of this, but one of them is that over the past two weeks, there has been a 35% drop in the cases and less than, uh, I believe, uh, 5,000 hospitalized, hospitalized patients, and vaccinations are ramping up, but they're not quite at the threshold that we're looking for. So in the Houston area, we've had about 1.2 million vaccinations, but the target is about four point three million. So, would you say, as and I think you're saying this, we're still not out of the woods, and there is continued work to do.
2: Yes, that's right. It's 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 a little bit of a kind of a race between us and the viruses, right? So we're we're trying to vaccinate everybody so that the spread, the, the break that chain of transmission, right. And the virus is mutating, and it's, you know, trying to find, you know, kind of ways around this immunity that uh, we're starting to get. And so the, the faster we can get more people vaccinated, the, the sooner we can break that chain of transmission.
3: Where, where do you think, out of Austin, the governor um, received his information, his circle of experts on this, assuming there were? Uh, to make that decision what do you think you would have heard in the decision making was it strictly we're opening for strictly financial reasons and getting people back to work or when they see these these drops in cases which which is happening that was enough to sort of pull the pull the lever and and uh open things up
2: so I think it's a matter of kind of competing priorities, right? So you know his, the, the the governor's interests um, are are not one-sided. He, he has to balance you know the the health of the economy with the health of the the people
3: of the state. So true, so true. Now, no doubt that that um, new mandate has received nationwide and probably international attention. But when you, when you look at the details of the, of the executive order, it does say that if any other, um, how do they say it, uh, any business or establishment can still require people to wear the mask. So is that a message that we need to get out? That yes, on, um, on Wednesday, there'll be no mandate for the mask, but that doesn't say no mask.
2: Yes, I think that's an important message. You know, it's uh, the, the day we will not require masks will be the day in which the, the transmission chain has been broken. And, and I think we're going to need to see very few cases daily, you know, for us to, to, to declare that, that we're out of the woods. Um, so, so just because there's no, you know, blanket mandate uh, doesn't mean that there's not a problem. Right. People didn't keep that in mind.
3: Right, and 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 uh, at least for the short term, common sense is still going to prevail.
2: That's absolutely right. You know, the the thing is, these these measures, right? These um, preventive measures like distancing, wearing a mask. I mean, these are tried and true methods to contain spread of infectious diseases, and it goes far beyond you know the modern times. I mean, even in ancient times. Uh Those were uh, methods that were utilized effectively to contain the spread of infectious diseases. Right. Um, These things work. You know, I don't think it's just, it's not really a political issue. we got to look at it kind of scientifically. These are tried and true methods to reduce the spread of disease.
3: Yeah. And I think even, you know, you talk about the habit of wearing a mask and it's only been about a year. I think it is really ingrained in a lot of people that they may not be so quick to drop off that mask that it's going to uh, it's going to be time before you don't have a mask in your pocket or in your car uh, to, to go into a large store where you may be exposed. So hopefully the, you know, we've learned to follow these rules. Now, Give me your impression on how the vaccine distribution is going, your from your perspective. Uh, what patients may be telling you about willingness or some reluctance to get the vaccine, and some of the side effects that uh, we're seeing.
2: Well, I think the, the vaccine uh, distribution is really picking up some steam, and especially with the recent approval of the new vaccine that doesn't require you know deep freeze. Right. Um, and uh, I think that's going to make it more available to the general population. Now, there's still a number of patients, um, actually a significant number of patients, who worry about potential side effects on the vaccine or, you know, kind of unanticipated side effects. You know, I think the thing to keep in mind there is that of all of the vaccines that have been given, now tens of millions in, the, in this country, uh, we have not seen, you know, kind of a, a direct relation to to mortality right um, there have been side effects you know people get a rash or you know, a fever or not feel good the next day but these side effects tend to be pretty transient yeah there hasn't been any kind of major danger signals that have arisen right uh, with, with tens of millions of people vaccinated so that to me says that the, these vaccines are relatively safe
3: exactly so, all right
2: you know, it's okay to be hesitant, but I think, you know, it's something that, that you certainly want to consider, you know, that getting, you know, in the near future.
3: Perfectly said. Howard Wong with Houston Methodist Hospital. Always great to have you on the line learning about COVID. Everybody be safe in the coming week. I'm Dr. Joe Goliath. Stay tuned. More to come. Ready to meet people who love to do the
1: same things you do?
3: Making pizza with someone who's as into it as me? What could be better? How about we share a bottle of wine?
1: Our Time is the number one dating site made for singles over 50. It's easy to use and can help you find people who are ready to do something fun. Today, even doing the simple things are better.
3: Welcome back, everybody. As promised, we have in the studio, no total stranger to your health first, Juan Olivero. He is a nephrologist, a kidney specialist with Houston Kidney Consultants. Their website is HoustonKidney.com. And for those that are tuning in tonight, you may say, well, I don't really know anything about the kidney or I don't even look at my urine. That's one of the grosser things in the world, but Dr. Olivero is a true expert, and we're going to talk about sodium tonight. So Dr. Olivero, thanks for coming in again tonight and lending some of your wisdom on salt. Thank you, Joe, for having me. So I talk a lot about salt on the program. I talk a lot about salt with my patients, but from a nephrology standpoint, a kidney standpoint, Where does the discussion of salt, which basically is coming in the food we eat, where does that discussion fit in with your patients and your practice?
0: So for my listeners out there, uh, basically salt comes into the discussion during our visits with the patients when we talk about, well, what can I do, doc, to help myself uh, get better as far as my blood pressure or uh, protect my heart? Mm-hmm. And so the discussion always is about diet. And one of the things we talk about is salt.
3: What is your angle on salt? Certainly too, too much. So maybe we'll get to the basics. Too much salt in the diet does what? It raises your blood pressure. And that in turn can lead
0: to your increased risk of stroke and heart attack.
3: So what about those with kidney disease? Uh, I am, you know, people with kidney disease, if their kidneys aren't clearing the toxins and you're making urine and your volume in and volume out through your urine isn't equal, you're going to get into trouble. How, what is it that excess salt actually does in these patients?
0: So, patients who have kidney problems, by definition, they can't get rid of salt properly. Mm All right. So, the kidneys, one of their jobs is to be the body's chemist. It is the kidneys are the body's master chemist. And so, what they do is whatever there's too much of coming into the body, they get rid of. And one of those things is salt.
3: Now, people tonight may be listening and say, look, I don't have high blood pressure. I don't have diabetes. Nobody's ever said anything about my kidneys. I am going to eat whatever I want. I'm not going to look at how much sodium is on the label. Is that a good attitude, or is it true that eventually it's going to cause some sort of health problem for you? So, it is not a good attitude.
0: Uh, It will lead to some problems down the line in the future. You know, we grow up uh, eating certain things a certain way, and uh, as we grow up and and become more mature, we got to prepare and, and eat more intelligently. otherwise we will have health problems down the line.
3: You know I like to, I like to think that well first, when you're quizzing patients, interrogating them, having a, a nice chat with them and'm I'm, I'm sure either you or one of your staff will take a, a diet history of some kind, and, and scan the, the foods that may be high in salt. What's your impression on the general everyday knowledge of the common person, the patients that we see, with regard to salt and sodium in food? What would you say is the one thing that you're, you're, you're um, impressed with time and time again? The same story keeps coming up about salt in food. So most people don't know that they take in way
0: too much salt uh, in their diet. And the common answer is, well, doc, I don't add salt to my food. Right. And, well, unfortunately, it's not all just about adding salt. It's what's already in the food.
3: Yeah. And it's it's a gross amount of of sodium where we typically in our liver patients – pretty strict, about 2,000 milligrams to down as low as 1,500 milligrams of sodium a day. And I'm sure in the kidney world, it's sort of close to that. But people don't realize that their hamburger or their meal out at a restaurant is maybe giving you four to 5,000 milligrams of of sodium. Correct. And that's uh, something that I noticed
0: uh, in the last year when everyone was staying home during the pandemic, they were not going out to eat at restaurants. And Lo and behold, my patients' blood pressures were much better. They were losing weight. And the reason is because the food that tastes so good at our restaurants and fast food places uh, has too much salt in it.
3: Yeah, and you know, uh, a lot of patients will say, if I don't eat the salty food, the food has no taste. But there have been some studies out there that say, if you're on a lower salt diet, it takes about two weeks for your taste buds to reset. And you'll be just fine. And when you do treat yourself to a Whataburger, it's almost unpalatable there's so much sodium and salt in it.
0: Yeah, it's overwhelming. And I guess the example would be is if you take a trip somewhere um, and the diet is somewhat different from what you're normally used to eating, uh, you get used to it for a while. And then when you come back home and you start eating some of this stuff, it tastes very salty.
3: Yeah. Do you, um, do you think that... A lot of the high blood pressure and and all of the heart disease-related problems or the kidney problems related to sodium, how much do you think could be prevented or limited by a society, a country that's on a lower salt diet? I know it's a a little bit of pie in the sky and and, – you know, we have this magic ball here that we wish everything was, was lower in salt. But I really believe we have to reflect and say so much of the ills out there could have been prevented or uh, limited with a better diet. I can't agree with you more, Joe. That's
0: absolutely right. Um, there are countries around the world where sodium or salt or processed foods are not readily available. And these are people who generally have healthy lives. Uh, they live longer, they're leaner, uh, they don't have all the health problems that we
3: have. In, in your practice, are you seeing a, a different kind of patient these days that it's more obesity related or um, lifestyle related kidney disease? Is that, is that a fair question to
0: ask? It is a fair question, and it is accurate. We are seeing more kidney re- disorders related to obesity and the effects of high blood pressure and diabetes.
3: Now, what do the patients say? You, you, you see a new patient, and there's—so what might be the typical abnormality that will be flagged that their primary care doc will say, oh, you know, you've got to go see Dr. Olivero and, and his team?
0: Well, one thing would be lab abnormalities where there's detection of abnormal kidney function, but also mm-hmm. blood pressure elevations uh, where someone's blood pressure is no longer controlled with one medicine. They need two or three medications and then, oh, doc, I'm swollen. My legs and ankles are swelling too.
3: Yeah. You know, one thing, and I invoke um, dialysis and, and I, I, uh, I love my patients, but I have to sometimes get a little bit in their face. And I I will tell them, look, you are on a collision course with either out of control heart disease, out of control liver disease, or out of control kidney disease. You have to make some sort of a change. Something has to give in your life. And they may say, oh, it's an inconvenience to cook. It's an inconvenience to Just cook for myself, and and Dr. Galati, the cleanup—it's just too much. And I say, look, let's stop right there. What can be more inconvenient? Shopping and cooking, and maybe cleaning up, or three hours, three times a week of dialysis. You know that it's it's a little bit in your face, and as a nephrologist, you may take offense to that. But I think. That is the alternative, not every time, not every patient with some kidney abnormality is going to end up on dialysis, but I think it's the end stage of a problem that's not addressed. Correct, that's exactly right. Um,
0: dialysis and all the complications related to cardiovascular disease, uh, they can be modified to where you don't get to that point, and it is a major lifestyle complication that you'll be dealing with later, and right. you'll regret it.
3: Yeah. Yeah, that that is true. So, um, in in winding up here, a couple of a couple of uh, related issues. One of the one of the points that, for not only my patients but for uh, everybody listening tonight, is to make them more aware of their body, how their body works. So, explain in uh, some detail what they should be looking at with regard to their urine. Now, just as patients will say, no, I don't look at my stool, Dr. Galati, because we're in that realm, and and we ask about your bowels, and are they hard, are they soft, do they float, and all kinds of things like that. Likewise, on the kidney side, what are some of the things that everybody, you would like to look at their urine so that they have an idea, is this machine working right, or is it starting to falter? So,
0: Visually, if you see the urine and it's a lighter tinge of yellow, more clear, that means you're hydrating properly. If it's a little more yellow or dark, that means your urine is concentrated. Certainly you don't want to see red or blood in the urine, that is definitely abnormal. And also, if the blood has a lot of thick bubbles that stick around the toilet when you flush and it's still there, that's a sign of a kidney problem. Uh, beyond the visual appearance, the odor is one mm-hmm. thing. Foul-smelling urine. Stinky urine. What does that mean? Pe- you know, urine. people
3: ask me, time, my urine smells. And I'm like, well, what did you eat? How much of that is, is true? That is true.
0: <laughs> uh, and I can tell you, and you guys probably have all done that. Whoever's eaten asparagus yes, it's marvelous. within a few minutes, you've got the smell of asparagus in the urine. Also, coffee. If you drink heavy, strong coffee, you can almost smell the coffee in the urine. Uh, but it is, uh, you know, you're eliminating basically something that you consumed oftentimes.
3: Yeah. Now, is there a smell besides the asparagus smell? Or I learned something about the coffee. I guess I'm not drinking enough coffee. Is there a smell that is an alarm that gee, I I need to pull over and get this checked out?
0: Foul-smelling urine. Uh, urine that is uh, really, really foul and yeah. uh, kind of looks cloudy and, and there might be
3: clumps of things in the urine. That's, yeah. that's
0: a sign of a possible infection that needs to be taken care of.
3: Okay. The other is, how about the amount of urine? So I think you're, you're going sort of the, the quality of the urine, clear, cloudy, bloody, dark. Uh, what about the quantity? What, what does that tell you?
0: Quantity of urine is also a good one. If you're urinating much more frequently than usual and you're feeling much more thirsty than usual and having to, this insatiable desire to drink cold water, that may be a sign that your blood sugar may be high. If, and if you have not been diagnosed with diabetes, that may be something you got
3: to get checked out. How about a not enough urine? That and, m- and, I, and I guess that's another one of those awareness things. If somebody is used to urinating X amount, and then it tamps down a bit, do you get many people, new patients, that come in to say, look, I'm here because I don't think I'm making enough urine? Yes. Sort of the equivalent of somebody saying, I'm constipated, I'm not stooling enough, I'm not peeing enough. Does anybody actually walk in with that
0: complaint? We do have patients come in with that complaint, and... It may be related to a new medication uh, that's being taken, which can lead to constipation uh, in the urinary tract. Right. Or you've got patients who are older, particularly older men, who may have prostate enlargement, and then they're unable to eliminate the urine
3: properly. Right. Okay. So in the final minute here, uh, final thoughts on sodium, salt, salt in the diet. I have a question for you, Joe. Yeah. How many people have died of
0: coronavirus in the United States up to this date? 500,000 plus. That is the number of people who die every year from hypertension and cardiovascular disease. And that is directly related to what we're doing in our
3: diets and salt. Very sobering. And, And I believe that is probably the way to end this segment with you because we have to put in, yes, there's been, for a year, we've been uh, witnessing the lost lives due to coronavirus, COVID-19, and it is, it's all tragic. But year after year after year, you and I are seeing these very same patients repeat, and uh, so much of it could have been prevented. That's right. Yeah, I agree. So with that, I mean, we have to put this all in perspective. But for everybody listening tonight, the amount of sodium in our diet is is um, wildly too much. And if you could think about it, everybody, tonight, this is your, your homework. Look at your urine tonight or tomorrow. And if you think you've got a problem, call Dr. Olivero and his team. Again, Houston Kidney Consultants, HoustonKidney.com. Juan, thanks very much for coming in tonight. Thanks for having me, Joe. Good night, everybody. Great. All right, final segment coming up for tonight's Your Health First. Don't forget, go to DrJoeGalati.com. Sign up for our newsletter right there on the homepage. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Segment for this glorious Sunday evening of radio, Your Health First. I'm Dr. Joe Galati. Dr. Joe Galati is our website, drjogalati.com. Sign up for our newsletter every Friday morning. It goes out into your inbox. I want to thank my colleagues, friends, and experts for coming on tonight. My hope is that everybody's health IQ has been raised a few points. All right. So for the final segment here, and we just have a few minutes, there is, I received a uh, Harvard medical newsletter the other day, and the general theme was a topic that is not so much new to us, but they wrapped it up in a nice little bit of terminology and they called it psychonutrition. Psychonutrition is it the food that makes you psycho or the nutrition that makes you unpsycho? It's the latter. And so the Mediterranean diet. We've talked about the Mediterranean diet. We've had experts on regarding the Mediterranean diet. And the key thing when you are eating a diet high in fish, the good fats, nuts, beans, fruits, citrus, vegetables, And lacking processed food, lacking processed carbohydrates, high-fat meats. These good foods of the Mediterranean diet interact with the gut and produce favorable hormones that improve mood. And this particular study put... Individuals for three weeks that classified them having moderate symptoms of depression. After three weeks of being on this preferred Mediterranean diet, for the most part, it dropped down to the normal range. The ones that were on the control diet, which was basically continue to eat your regular diet, there was no change. And so we have to get to the point where we appreciate what we put in our mouths, what we put in our guts are not only affecting our risk of heart disease and diabetes and fatty liver and cancer, kidney disease. We had Dr. Olivero a few minutes ago, but it is now affecting our nervous system. And it has to do with affecting the gut microbiome, those trillion bacteria and fungus that live in our small gut, small intestine for the most part. When you have a healthy diet, plenty of fiber, plenty of citrus, the good bacteria flourish. They make the right hormones and neurotransmitters that go to your brain. And we're happier. Processed foods, fast food, foods where the fiber has been stripped out. Different hormones are made or not enough of the of the proper ones. And we get into trouble. The psycho nutrition. Think about it. Think about not only your heart and lungs and kidneys. Think about your brain. All right. Next week, Sunday, be here. Dr. Joe Galati, drjoegalati.com. Have a great week. Eat your fruits, vegetables, vegetables and a little bit of asparagus, and smell your urine this week. Take care.
0: You've been listening to Your Health First with Dr. Joe Galati. For more information on this program or the content of this program, go to yourhealthfirst.com.